Mark chapter 2, starting with verse 1. A really interesting passage of scripture here. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door of the home where he was at, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, a person who was paralyzed, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. Why don't you get a picture of that? When Jesus saw their faith, when Jesus saw their faith, he saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, your, son, your sins are forgiven. And then later on in verse 11, he said, take up your mat and walk. Let's pray. Father, your word is, is so vital to us. It's, it's the bread of life. It's what instructs us and transforms us. But Lord, it only becomes that to us when your spirit is working in our lives and spirit working through our, our words to transform, Lord God, to have that transforming power. So Lord, we pray that this morning your word would go forth with power. Power to break strongholds. Power to heal the sick. Power, Lord God, to break mental blockades that the enemy has set up in our lives that torment us. Power, Lord, to heal marriages. Power, Lord, to forgive sins. But, Lord, your spirit has got to do that. We trust in, in, in your spirit to do that, Lord. And, Lord, I just have a sense that you have in store for some here this morning something really great, and I pray that you'd bring that out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want us to just uh, notice two things about this passage. The first thing is this. I want us to look at how persistent and just how radical the faith of the people who were carrying that paralytic were, was, whatever. We would, I think, understand it if that paralytic would have, paralytic would have said, that paralyzed man would have said, you know, this is the way I was born, and, and this is just the way it's going to be, and don't bother trying to pray and do this radical, fanatical, religious stuff for me. This is just the way things are, and you've got to deal with it. We would understand that. In fact, probably the majority of us would have an inclination, some inclination, to go that route. We'd understand that. He could have said that. At the very least, he could have said this, uh, his friends want to take him to Capernaum, and his friends want to take him to this house. They hear about a Jesus. They don't know much about Jesus. They don't have much theology, but they do know that this Jesus heals people. And their friend's been paralyzed from day one, and they know that maybe, may, maybe, there's no security here, no guarantees, but maybe this man can heal their friend. So they take him to Capernaum. But the house that Jesus is in is filled up. It's so crowded. You can't get in the doors. You can't get in the windows. They're packed out into the street. And it would be understandable, wouldn't it, if, if uh, they would have said, well, I guess not today. You know, it must not be God's will for you to be healed. And if God's going to heal you, after all, he can do it out here as well as he can do it in there, right? And so let's just kind of let it be. Maybe, just maybe, maybe later on when Jesus is leaving the house, when the crowds disappear, maybe he'll notice you and then you'll get healed. 
But given the obstacles, given the obstructions, it must not be God's will to, for it to heal you right now. And so often we do the very same thing, saying, well, if it was God's will, it's, it's supposed to come easy. And since there's these obstacles, it must not be God's will. The friends of this paralytic man did not have that attitude at all. They made a decision. And the decision was this. There's this guy who's called the great physician who can heal. We've got a friend here who's never going to walk, maybe never move his arms. We don't know what, just how paralyzed he was. But he's not going to be made whole unless he gets in the vicinity of Jesus. And then they made this decision. We are going to do whatever it takes to get him into the presence of Jesus Christ. Because we believe that just maybe this guy can do something to help our friend. They made a decision to go the whole way. They made a decision that nothing was going to stop them. They get there and there's a lot of crowds. They can't get through the doors. They can't get through the windows. So somebody comes up with an incredible idea that we'll go on top of the house, we'll lift our friend on top of the house, and we'll dig a hole through the ceiling of the house. I'll try to get a picture of this. Here's, you know, Jesus is giving a sermon in this house, and there's all these crowds there, and there's a bunch of, what, four people, I guess? There actually was more friends that the paralytic had. The only four were carrying him, but they climb up on top of this house. We don't know how they got there. Maybe they stole the ladder. Maybe they climbed up on the windows. Maybe they got up on each other's shoulders. But it wouldn't be the most inconspicuous thing in the world. These people outside of your house climbing up there. And then the Bible says they dug a hole in the roof. We're going to get you in there. We don't know how, but we're going to figure out. It's kind of Indiana Jones. Uh, you know, how are you going to do it? Well, we don't know yet. We're making this thing up as we go along. They get up on top of the roof, and now they've got to get through the roof. And the Bible says they dug a hole. Now, roofs in those days were made of, of thatch and mortar. They were rainproof. It wasn't as hard as cement, but they were pretty hard. And so somehow or whether, they've got to dig through this roof. They must have had sharp uh, stones that they found, or maybe they raided someone's farm and got a pick or whatever. But here are these guys up on top of this, this, this roof. They're digging a hole in the roof, and not just a little peephole so they could look at Jesus. They've got to fit their friend, their, their paralytic friend, through this hole. You need about a four, five, what, six-foot hole in the roof? Think of the effort that went involved. See the determination of these people. Nothing is going to stop us. We're getting you in there. Nothing's going to stop us. And think for a second what it must have looked like from the inside of the house. I mean, here Jesus is. I, I've preached where there's been distractions, you know, a crying kid or whatever, and it's kind of hard. But, but what if I was up here preaching right now the Word of God, and all of a sudden a piece of the ceiling falls on my head, you know? And you, it's kind of embarrassing, but we go on, and all of a sudden another chunk starts to fall, and another chunk, and another chunk, and pretty soon you got all this roof falling down, and you look up there, and here's these people just chopping away. And what did the guy who owned the house do? You ever think about that? No one ever considers that. This guy's probably thinking, what on earth is going on here? This is my house. You're ruining my house. You're ruining my ceiling. I don't have any insurance. Who's going to pay for this? He's probably outside screaming at him the whole time. And Jesus is trying to get this sermon, trying to get, give the third point of his sermon <laughs> while the ceiling is falling apart. And finally they get it big enough, and then they all of a sudden lower, either through ropes or... I, no, it must have been on this mat because Jesus said, take up your mat. So they had this mat of some sort, and they lowered this guy by ropes through the ceiling. And here it comes. And I imagine there weren't a few, uh, there were more than a few of the religious Pharisees there who were saying, this is totally socially inappropriate. This is, this, is not, this is not in the liturgy here. This is not the way you're supposed to do things. Where's the protocol here? Who's in charge here? How presumptuous and disrespectful of other property you people are. 
No wonder God cursed you with being paralyzed. They probably theologized it like that. But Jesus didn't respond like that. The Bible says that Jesus wasn't disturbed by having his faith, by having his sermon disrupted. The Bible says Jesus saw their faith. Now look at that phrase. He saw their faith. And he liked it. He saw their faith, the faith of the whole group that went through this trouble with their persistence and their determination to see him move. And the result was that because of his, their faith, he responded and first he forgave the man his sins. And then, he, and then the Bible says he healed the man, which is an interesting thing, but that's a different sermon. Now we often define faith as, as a belief. Faith is a, a belief in the depths of our heart, in the depths of our brain, in the quiet resources of our soul. We have a faith, a personal faith. It's not too public. It's not too radical. No. It, it's, and no one really knows it. It doesn't make much of a difference. Uh, it, there's nothing really discernible about it, but it makes you go to church once in a while, and, and it helps you be a better citizen. And, and that's kind of faith. It's a private thing, especially in our culture. You, know, you never want to bring it into the public sector. You never want to be too radical, fanatical, and bent out of shape about this thing. It's just a belief, you see. But I want to submit to you that the Bible and the Lord Jesus Christ have a very, defini- very different definition of faith. Faith, Jesus, faith is something you can see. Look at that faith. Jesus saw their faith. And the reason he could see their faith was because he was seeing them do things that people normally don't do. This wasn't standard protocol. This wasn't normal behavior. Most people would have given up. Most people wouldn't have done this. Most people wouldn't have been this bent out of shape. Most people wouldn't have had this determination, but they did. And that to Jesus showed the kind of faith that they had. They had a faith which worked and would do anything it had to do to touch the throne of God, to see God move, to see their friend healed. And Jesus said, that's the kind of faith I like, and he responded by healing the man. Faith for Jesus is something that's kind of radical. It's got a radical edge to it. It's, it's, it's got a power to it. It moves things. It shakes things. It transforms things. It's not a quietistic kind of compromising acquiescence to the sta- status quo. What a phrase. It's not a quiet... I can't say it again. It doesn't just sort of accept. It doesn't just flow, flow along. Oh, this is the way it's always been. This is the way it was always going to be. We must just kind of accept things. Faith, this kind of faith says, I will not accept because God is more powerful. God can move. God can heal. God can transform. And I will not accept things the way they are now. We want to see God move and we will do whatever it takes by whatever means, however, we're going to do it to see God respond to this situation. It's wrestling with Jacob in, in, in Genesis 31 where J- Jacob says, I'm not going to let you go to the angel of the Lord wrestling all night. I'm not going to let you go until I receive my blessing. That kind of persistence, the widow who knocks on the judge's door day and night, the Bible says, just nagging the daylights out of this judge to get her case heard. And Jesus said, that's how you ought to pray. That's the kind of faith I'm looking for, this pressing on, radical kind of faith that makes a difference, that transforms lives, that changes things. You see, there's a part of us that, there's a part of us that, that likes the status quo. I mean, none of us like to be different. None of us like to be weird. None of us like to feel abnormal, right? None of us like to stick out too much. We like, things, we like things in the middle. We like to fit in. We like to be socially appropriate. We don't want to always be noticed. There, there's a part of us that's like that, and that's not bad. But that can't be Lord of your life. Amen? Sometimes the Lord calls us to move outside of our comfort zone. Sometimes a lot hangs upon whether or not we move out of our comfort zone. 
And God always blesses us when he moves us with the kind of faith that moves us out of our comfort zone. That is to say, what we're used to, what we're comfortable with, what is convenient for us. Sometimes God says, heck with what is comfortable for to you. Heck with what is convenient. I want you to do a radical thing here. Move in it and I'll bless you. Several months ago, there was this guy who had cancer up and down his back and into his brain. We talked about that, and we went and prayed over him, and the Lord healed him, and he went down to Rochester, Mayo, and they couldn't find any cancer when three weeks earlier they found cancer up here in, in, in Ramsey Hospital or whatever it was. But I want you to know this about that situation. This guy had never been around charismatic types before. He'd never seen anyone prayed for hands laid on people. He'd never heard of, of anointing someone with oil. But we got over there, eight people, and we anointed with him with oil. He saw that it was scriptural. It felt weird. It felt kind of odd. You know, he comes from a Lutheran background. This isn't the way Lutherans do things. But you know what? If God's going to bless it, I got nothing to lose at this point, folks. He never saw people lay hands on someone's head and start praying for him. But here we are. We're right here. I mean, it's kind of uncomfortable. It's not protocol. It's not the liturgy I was raised with. But you know what? If it's scriptural and God says to do it and it can get the job done, then do it. Whatever it takes, do whatever you want. I got to get this cancer out of my brain. And these people praying against the cancer, that sounds kind of weird. It sounds kind of fanatical. It sounds kind of different. Rebuking cancer, what's that about? Well, Jesus rebuked deafness. Jesus rebuked sicknesses. So if Jesus did it, and, and, and I have got a hope of, of, of this healing my cancer, go ahead and do it. But this guy could have just rolled over and played dead, and maybe he would be dead. He could have just said, well, I'm not used to that, and I, I don't feel comfortable with it, and it's kind of invading my personal space or whatever. But sometimes God calls you to have the kind of faith that will rip up some stranger's house to see God move, and sometimes he calls us to have that kind of faith. Several years ago, I was at a church. I used to go to the open door, and, and I, I, I preached in a lot of different churches, but that was my home base. And they had a ministry of people that would go to people's houses and clean, clean houses, and I don't, mean, I don't mean sweep floors. I mean flush out demons, you know, if a house was being bugged by demons. And I, I honestly thought that these people were the kookiest, flakiest people on the planet. Um, I didn't have a lot of time for people who talked much about demons and house cleansing and cast demons out of rooms. And I thought they were reading too much Frank Peretti, you know, and... and, and uh, had seen too many Linda Blair movies, you know, and, and Ghostbusters 1 and 2, and, you know. And I just thought, you know, I, I love the church, and I love the people, and I never openly criticize them, but I'm telling you what I thought inside. I thought, El Flacoville, that's what it all was. <laughs> and then there came a time about three years ago where I came under, my, me and my family came under this spiritual attack, and it was crazy, and it was bizarre. And I thought I was going crazy. For about six months, it kind of escalated. And I'm saying, I'm telling you, there was a spiritual presence that got to the point where it was so tangible, I saw it. And even in telling you that, I feel like I'm from El Flacoville. But I'll tell you this. I finally got to the point where I quit trying to rationalize it and explain it away, and I called the old Flakyville Ghostbusters, and I said, will you please come over to my house? Because I got something going on here that I don't understand. And they said, we'll be glad to. And they came over to my house, and, and we prayed. We went up and down the stairs, went around rooms, anointed things, and cast out things. And the whole time I'm thinking, what would my Yale professors say if they saw me right now? <laughs> this feels about as crazy as anything I've ever done. This feels weird, you know. And he's like, ooh, I don't know. It just felt weird. <laughs> but I want to tell you something. The nightmares and the presences and the, and the visions and all that kind of stuff that had been escalating for six months stopped on a dime when these people came over and did their flaky stuff. And I'm glad they did it. 
Praise God. You know, if it's biblical and it works, who really gives a rip what anyone else thinks? I've said it before and I'll say it again. Normality is way overrated, folks. We're, we're as a whole far too afraid of, of what others, somebody else might think. Giving in to the pattern of this world. Sometimes God calls us to exercise a faith, faith, a faith that is outrageous, that will do crazy things. And I want to challenge you this morning for, to, to allow God to be moving you out of your comfort zone. Let God invade your space. I can't invade your space to try to move you out of your comfort zone. No worship leader should try to invade your space to move you out of your comfort zone. But God has the right to invade your space to move you out of your comfort zone. And so let's take the small and move to the big. Maybe one area that you need to be challenged with, the Holy Spirit maybe would challenge you with, is maybe something as insignificant as raising your hands in worship. And you can say, well, that's a small thing. And say, I'm just not, you know, I'm just not comfortable with that. And, and, I, and I'm not invading your space here. I, do, go at your own pace. I don't care. But I'm just giving this for your, for your benefit. And maybe sometimes people, you know, they, they say, I'm not comfortable with it. It just doesn't feel like me. It feels weird. Someone's watching. They'll think I'm weird. And God can bless me without doing that anyways. Well, and that's probably true. But sometimes those little things become major things when the reason we're not doing it is because what someone thinks of you has got more authority in your life than what the Word of God says. And you might find that there's a major blessing that you're missing by not breaking out of your comfort zone and saying, I don't care what anyone else thinks. I'm going to raise my hands and I'm going to worship God with all that's within me, including my body. And you might just find that when you do that, you touch the throne of God like these people did when they broke through the ceiling of the house. You enter into the presence in a way that you had never envisaged before. Sometimes God calls us to break through our comfort barrier. Maybe your comfort barrier is sharing the gospel with somebody. Maybe sometimes you just got to break out of that, the, what can be the chains of a comfort zone, and do something that doesn't, in terms of your own spirit, feel comfortable, but you know it's very, very biblical. Maybe it's responding to the spirit on a daily basis at your place of employment or whatever. You know, we're so concerned about being normal. Most of the time when God, said, when God whispers to us, why don't you go pray for that person? Why don't you go say a word to that person? Why don't you leave a letter for this person? Or something spontaneous, we just suppress it. Because it wasn't part of our plan. And maybe it would feel weird or abnormal if we just went over there and did something spontaneous. We might look kind of flaky. Maybe God sometimes is calling us to move out of our comfort zone and become, as the Bible says, fools for his sake. Or maybe for some of us here this morning, the comfort zone might be something like this. Maybe you've never came forward for prayer and there's a need in your life. Maybe a big need, maybe a small need, an emotional need, a physical need, a marriage need, a kid need. I don't know what your need is, but, but you just stay up there because you think if you come forward, that's going to make you look weak. Or someone's going to think bad about you. Or someone's going to think that you're, they'll try to guess what's wrong or, or what have you. And, you. and you say to yourself, well, God can heal me if I stay right here. And that's true. And, the, and God could have healed this crippled man if he hadn't gone through the roof. But sometimes God wants us to go through the roof. Sometimes God wants us to come forward. Sometimes God wants us to raise our hand. Sometimes God wants us to witness to a friend. Sometimes God wants us to be spontaneous in the spirit. Sometimes God wants us to, look, to, to be fools for Christ's sake. For Christ's sake, be fools. <laughs> I mean that literally. Some of you just got that. Move out of your comfort zone when the Lord calls you. The second thing, and I'm going to do this in 30 seconds, the second thing to note about this passage is this. This par paralyzed man couldn't have done anything, not, not a thing, if it wasn't for his friends. If it wasn't for his friends. 
He couldn't have climbed up on the house, couldn't have dug the hole, couldn't have gone down there. He would have stayed paralyzed the rest of his life, but he had some friends who cared and had radical faith. And when he couldn't walk, they walked for him. And for all we know, he, you know, he, he might have resisted this whole thing. The Bible doesn't say, but I could picture him doing that. You know, you feel like you're being a bother and a nuisance and saying, okay, you guys, why don't you just quit, okay? Stop it. No way, we're going to get you in there, we're going to get you healed. That's what friends are for. And it really is a great type of what the body of Christ is supposed to be. Every one of us here this morning needs people such that when we are weak, they can be strong. And when we can't walk, they can walk for us. And when we're paralyzed, they can be mobile. And when we doubt, they can have faith for us. None of us were ever meant to go it alone. That's not God's design, to have faith all by our own little individual self. The way the Bible sets it up is that sometimes my healing isn't just dependent on my faith, it's dependent on your faith. It was the faith of all these people that got that guy made whole. We are one. We are one. We need one another. We need to lean on one another. When I'm weak, I need people to be strong. When, when, when I'm strong, there are people who are, are, are weak and need me, and I also need them to, to lean on me because that's what makes me stronger. Bear one, another bur one another's burdens, the Bible says. Lean upon one another, and that's how the church grows. We can't do it on Sunday morning, folks. This is when we all come together and worship God, and that's beautiful, and, and we need that. But there needs to be times where we get together in our house churches, in our small groups, where we got people who care about us. Everyone here needs someone before whom it's okay to be paralyzed. Paralyzed in your divorce, paralyzed in your sin, paralyzed in your confusion, paralyzed in your lack of faith, paralyzed for fear as, as a parent. Whatever it is that paralyzes you, you need a group of people who need to know about it and who don't judge you for it, but rather can carry you on the stretcher into the presence of Jesus. And when you can't be radical, they can be radical for you. All of us need that. And the church is the God's means by which that's supposed to happen. And I want to encourage you, and this is part of moving out of your comfort zone, each person here to begin to move in that area, to begin to consider plugging in to the body of Christ. And if you don't know people here, join the crowd. A lot of people don't know people here. But if you call the church office, we'll begin to try to get you networked. And it doesn't mean that you're going to be committed for the rest of your life to a bunch of group of people that you don't like. It just means you try it out. And if that doesn't work, you try something else out. But you get fitted into the body of Christ and get some stretcher bearers and become a stretcher bearer. Now, the reason, why, the reason why the Lord calls us to be radical, as the ushers come and the musicians come out here, the, the Lord has the right to call us to be radical because the Lord himself was radical for us. However we might respond to God, however radical we might become, you've got to know this. We don't even begin to approach the kind of fanaticism that the Lord had in his quest to save us. The Lord became a man. The Lord was born in a manger. The Lord went to Calvary, died on a tree. The Lord took all the sins of the world upon himself. He was bruised. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace, Isaiah 53 says, was upon him. And why did he do it? The God of this universe dying a hellish death on the cross. Why? Because he wanted you and he wanted me. And as, like, these, these, like these radical friends who are digging through the, the, the roof saying, we've got to get to Jesus, we've got to get to Jesus because our friends got to get healed, you've got to picture the Lord having this radical love, digging through, as it were, the house of sin that, that has enslaved us, the prison of sin, the, the prison of condemnation, and he's digging on the roof and he's saying, I've got to get to them. 
Greg Boyd needs me. I, someone's got to pay the price. Someone's got to reconcile him with God. Someone's got to get the devil off his back. And I will do, like these friends, the Lord says, I'll do whatever it takes. Pay whatever price needs to be paid. Suffer whatever has to be suffered so that, the, so that Greg and John and Bill and Mary and everyone in this place who receives it can be reconciled and perfectly at peace and forgiven to the Father. He's got that radical love for us. The only appropriate response is to be radical saying, Lord, if you love me like that, I I love you back like that.